and welcome to Unpacking the Case, a podcast by David Jones-Bold. Today, once more, we are joined by Richard Snape, DJB's Head of Legal Training. Hello, Richard. How are you doing? Hello. Yeah, it's a nice day here. Nice day today. Good. Very nice. We have been blessed with the weather. Um, so today we're going to talk about your recent webinar, uh, The Landlord and Tenant Act 1954, and uh, Grounds of Opposition, Renewal Terms and Interim Rents. Um, I believe we will start with S. Francis Limited and Cavendish Hotel, um, a case of 2018. Yeah, S. Francis um, was, uh, they are clothiers, they're clothing dealers, and uh, the premises that they rented out from Cavendish Hotel in German Street was currently actually a, a, um, uh, a art gallery, which the landlords Cavendish Hotel wanted to take hold of, you know, quite close to their hotel. Um, and uh, sort of that was the background, and it settled a uh, well something that had been going on for quite a while actually, a sort of way of landlords circumventing or thinking they could circumvent the uh, uh, 54 Landlord and Tenant Act Ground F, uh, and then use it as a way of uh, gaining possession. Okay, and do you think in this uh, in this case that it could apply to uh, Ground G along with Ground F? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, what, what it basically said is um, it uh, took the um, what used to be probably the most important um, 54 Act case of all Betty's Cafe and Philips Furnishing Stores, all about uh, Betty's Tea Rooms, quite an exclusive tea rooms in uh, this particular one was in Harrogate in Yorkshire. They're also in Weatherby and York if you want to go there, I well recommend it. And uh, they, um, in Betty's Cafe, they basically said, well, what's the, if you're going to have an intention to demolish or reconstruct before we get back to the ground G, uh, then when do you have to have that intention? You know, is it the day you serve your notice? Is it the day you, your section 25 notice comes to an end? And they said, it's neither of those. It's the date of any court hearing, if you do go to court. So the landlord sort of manipulates things. Um, and if he's not quite ready with his intention now, he can serve a long section 25 notice, a year section 25 notice, uh, and do a lot of the groundwork work beforehand. And if a tenant thinks the landlord wants to evict them for whatever reason, the tenants can get there first with a six month request for a new lease, push things ahead rapidly. And it's always been accepted that Betty's Cafe applies equally to ground G, which is the most insidious of the grounds, which is occupation for your own business or residential purposes, and uh, I can see little reason why uh, it wouldn't apply S. Francis as well. S. Francis actually said, and so it was a, a new test, and it was a lot, you know, a bit of a test case for a lot of uh, things that have been going on. Um, does the landlord have to genuinely, if you like, intend not just to uh, uh, demolish or reconstruct, what does he have to have a good reason for demolishing and reconstructing? Because what landlords have been known to do is plan works around being rid of their tenants if they want to be rid of their 54 rat protected tenants. So just do work that you have no real need to do. And that's what they've done in, uh, in, in S. Francis, the Cavendish Hotel, the landlords had uh, started doing work or intended to do work, I should say, which wasn't really, uh, economically of any use to them. They're going to raise or lower a ceiling, I forget which, for instance, which would necessitate the tenant's removal. And the High Court said that that would be fine. Uh, it went to uh, the Supreme Court. They, as the lawyers will appreciate, leapfrog the Court of Appeal because of its significance. Went straight to the Supreme Court and it was just before Christmas of 2018. 
was Lord Sumption, who uh, gave the major decision. Um, who uh, they basically said there's a second test, there's another test, not just do you genuinely intend to do the work by the time of court hearing, but would you do the work if the property was already vacant, if the tenant had left of their own accord? And you'd have to prove that. And you'd have to have sort of, you know, expert opinions and reports that affect the intent to do that work, uh, even if the tenant had vacated of their own accord and but for test. And uh, I think it would apply equally, definitely, to, um, to, to ground G. They're, they're very similar grounds. They're both non-fault grounds. You know, they're ways of getting rid of tenants, even though those tenants have done nothing wrong. But uh, ground G occupation for your own purposes, I think would come in the same category. So do you think that the recent changes in England and the use classes will increase the ability to use ground F and ground G? Um, yeah, I think it's something that people haven't particularly thought about, quite honestly. Um, because, as I mentioned in the course, you have to have a genuine intention to you know, demolish, reconstruct, uh, or go into occupation for your own purposes, but you need also have to have a reasonable prospect uh, of being able to do it. Uh, the genuine intention subject to what we just talked about tends to be a subjective, whereas the reasonable prospect or objective, things like you've got the financing sorted out, you've got developers and plans sorted out. Financing is actually quite a sticking point on occasion. Um, but also, you, um, the biggest sticking point in most of the cases tend to be on planning permission. Uh, and over the years, there's been a steady stream of cases on planning permission, the most recent being the, the Warwickshire Aviation and Littler case. Um, but uh, all the cases basically say something, you know, pretty much the same thing. You have to have a real chance, a real prospect. One of them would a man of business take the risk. And in that Warwickshire and Littler case, the court refused to accept there was a sort of one in a third chance to have getting planning permission. Would you take the risk of getting planning permission? Um, it's a lot easier to circumvent the need for planning permission in England, if not Wales, this last uh, six or seven months because they've been massively changing uh, planning permission use classes and permitted development and they plan to change them further. So most obviously uh, as of September the 1st in England last year uh, the previous use classes A1, 2 and 3 retail professional services and uh, uh, oh drinking establishments with, uh, with a few exceptions are uh, and, and class B uh, use class, which is general business use, have all been subsumed into one class E. There are exceptions, as I, as I mentioned, like uh, drinking establishments and takeaways and cinemas, uh, but uh, it's uh, going to be a lot, lot easier to convert from one use to another. So planning permission is not going to be the major sticking point that it once was. Incidentally, um, on March the 31st, just before Easter, um, which is always a good time to bury bad news when Parliament's not sitting, um, the government introduced its new, for England only, um, General Permitted Development uh, Amendment Order, uh, which is due to come into force uh, on August the 1st, and with quite a few provisos, you'll be able to convert uh, class E, the new class E, into C3 dwellings. There's going to be a new use class A, MA, sorry. Uh, and uh, it'll only apply if the commercial premises has been in, uh, the premises have been in commercial use for the last two years and has been vacant for the last three months and doesn't apply if the uh, floor area is more than 1500 square meters. 
But the plan is that all these premises in the towns and cities, uh, redundant post-COVID or the demise of the retail sector can be converted into residential units. And the landlord can use Ground G, not just for his own commercial purposes, but also for residential. So I think it's inevitable it's going to have a knock-on effect. Okay. Uh, the other issue, perhaps, before we move on with um, the S. Francis case, is I think most people accept, because there's this new hurdle for landlords to show, for, certainly for Ground F and probably for Ground G, if the tenant if the property was vacant anyway, would I be uh, you know, intending to do the work or occupy? Uh, I think it's going to give rise to landlords thinking about excluding the 54 Act much more so. Okay, so Richard, the um, the case of Gulf Agency and Ahmed 2016 was mentioned in your webinar. Um, could you give me a little bit more background on, on that matter and its implications? Yeah, it's a strange case. It's about Ground G, and Ground G is the most sort of sinister ground for possession, uh, occupying for your own business purposes, but also, as I mentioned a short while ago, you can actually use it. A lot of people don't realise the landlord can occupy for their own residential purposes, subject to planning permission less so in the future, uh, then uh, they can go and live in the premises after being converted, presumably, and subject to things like building regs approval. And it's subject to, again, I'm sure people appreciate a five-year rule. If you bought subject to a 54-up protected tenant, you can't use Ground G for five years, not necessarily the tenant for any 54-up protected tenant. Uh, and in this case, it was a strange set of facts. The the landlords were Ahmed, who were a solicitor's firm, uh, it was Freeman Solicitors, and he's uh, one of the, the partners, I think it's partner, I'm not sure if it's a limited liability or not, um, but, um, and uh, he occupied the, it's, it was in somewhere in London, he occupied the basement and uh, the ground floor for the solicitor uh, himself, and then uh, above was a um, minicab business. Um, and the landlord uh, well, claimed that he wanted to take over the minicab business, not just necessarily to run a minicab, but uh, because he'd got alternative solicitors' uh, premises that he was renting out and he couldn't afford to rent out these premises. So he wanted to take on the whole of this property. Um, it is very, very strange at first instance. You rarely get to see the first instance decisions when they go to appeal. But uh, he, um, the first instance judge, uh, seems to have taken upon himself to, to do some research and almost like this seems to have decided that the case before they um, you know, have ever heard it. He seems to have watched uh, Judge John Deed a bit too much this blow. And uh, he. Um, the first instance judge actually checked with find a solicitor on the law society's website because he didn't believe this person was a solicitor and he because uh, you put in the name of the solicitor and he misspelled it so it came back as you know no such person exists as a solicitor and he took that up in court with the the, the, the solicitors the landlord's qc and started calling him a liar and a swindler and you should be prosecuted and this kind of stuff because wow. he could have it's an amazing decision uh, he granted a new lease, but the landlord went to appeal, and the Court of Appeal rarely have a go at a first instance, just like they did on this occasion. Uh, as you can imagine, they didn't actually finally decide the case, but they reiterated what a lot of previous cases had said. And that's, that's a two-part test to decide whether you uh, intend to uh, occupy for your own purposes 
as we said previously, there may be a three-part test now, but the first part, it wasn't to say the first place that actually said that, but it's a timely reminder, is do you have a fixed and settled desire to uh, occupy the premises for your own purposes? And it has to be a clear intention, not just vague, I might do this in the future. And they quoted a case called Cunliffe and Goodman from 1950, Court of Appeal case. There was a predecessor to the 54 Act, a temporary one that came in just after the uh, Second World War to give tenants a, a degree of security. And then the 54 Act became the, the most solid version. And it's nice to say, but as I mentioned in the, in the um, webinar, it has to be out of the zone of contemplation and into the valley of decision. It is a clear and settled intention. I wish people said things like that nowadays, quite honestly. Um, that they did, uh, well, they, the second part of the test, that's the subjective part, if you like, do you genuinely intend? Uh, but the, uh, the more objective part is what we just talked about, as with ground F, there's got to be a reasonable prospect of bringing about that intention or a real chance. And they decided here there was a good prospect of getting planning permission for a, for a change of use to A2 professional services. Um, so that part of the test was satisfied. Um, the, again, going back to the changes in the use classes last September in England, it wouldn't be any question nowadays, you wouldn't need planning permission for a change of use. Um, but uh, they sent it to a lower court, uh, a different judge for a decision whether this was a genuine, you know, out of the zone of contemplation into the value of decision, um, whether it was genuine or not. And uh, try as I will, I can't find the lower court decision anywhere. Seems to have disappeared. Don't know if it even got there. And that's the background to that. Brilliant. Thank you. That was fascinating. Yeah. It's quite a funny case to actually. I know you don't think many of these cases are funny, but looking at what the Court of Appeal said about the first instance, judge, it is absolutely amazing. So in the previous webinar, you touched on Dolgetley and um and Het 1998. Could you tell us a little bit more about the background of that case and um, who the two parties were? Yeah, it's, uh, it's again a strange case from Dolgethley, you said it well, uh, in Gwyneth in northwest Wales, um, on the foot hill, well, on the foot of Cadaridris, the mountain. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it, as I recollect, the, the landlord was a, a farmer. And uh, some years previously, he'd granted a lease, a 54 up protected lease, to the Dolgethley Golf Club. And they ran a sort of uh, nine hole golf course uh, on the edge of, uh, I say, Cadaridris. And uh, the landlord, it's a classic example of the dangers of Ground G, because, uh, you know, speculating a little bit, but, you know, the tenant probably works very, very hard building up their business. And, uh, you know, sort of building up the goodwill, you presume there's quite a bit of fitting out costs and the likes to, you know, to create a golf course, even though nine holes only. And the landlord probably, again, in a lot of these cases, not necessarily here, thinks to themselves, why am I just getting rental when I could actually run the golf course myself and get all the profits? And uh, so he serves a notice as early as he can, Section 25 notice, to um, um, occupy for his own purposes. He's never had any past history in running golf courses and his plans were for a major 18-hole golf course in Merioneth, uh, as it used to be. Uh, they went off to court, the tenant uh, defended it, 
which a lot of tenants can't afford to do. That's another problem in this area, but the tenant went on to defend it. And uh, what it added to the equation, if you like, is that uh, the court, or lots of experts came along and said, this is doomed to failure. The landlord might be intending to occupy for his own purposes. And that was settled by the time of the court hearing uh, and run his own business there. But it was doomed to failure. He hadn't got any plans sorted out. He hadn't got his business model sorted out. He hadn't looked at the potential profits and the likes. And it's going to you know, be a disaster. And this was accepted, but the court decided you can still uh, you know, terminate the lease uh, on ground G. You have to have a genuine uh, uh, intention to occupy for your own purposes by the time of any court hearing, but it doesn't have to be destined for success, which is the other thing. It can be doomed to failure, but you've still got your genuine intention. Um, I can think of another case, which wasn't actually in the notes from uh, 1989 called Cox and Binfield, which is another classic. There's been quite a few cases over the years and there's lots of examples that have never reached the, the law reports. And then Cox and Binfield, they, again, you read between the lines a bit, but classic, you know, it's small business tenants, small business landlord. And the landlord was in their 80s. This was their sort of, this property was their alternative pension, I suspect. And they, um, they um, granted a lease uh, of these tea rooms uh, to uh, a couple, a young couple. And again, they probably worked very, very hard building up the business. Things like tea rooms and restaurants have got a long time to build up goodwill. And as soon as the lease is over, um, then they, uh, you know, so as soon as the fixed term's over, the landlord thinks I could run the tea rooms myself. I think they were in the early 80s. They'd got no past history of running tea rooms. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to go there myself, quite honestly. Um, and again, the experts came along and said it's doomed to failure, but they still succeeded. As long as you've got that genuine intention, then it doesn't matter that it's doomed to failure. So what are the dangerous areas and what ways are there out of it? Yeah, and the dangerous ones for tenants, I mean, are when there's as in the, the Cox and Binfield, and I suspect Olgethley, uh, where there is uh, the landlord, if the landlord runs a similar business uh, to the tenants, or the landlords run their business um, from the premises uh, previously. Because um, at very worst, and I'm not suggesting anything in these cases, it's a deliberate ploy to, to dupe the tenants and then use ground G after they've done all the hard work for you, fitted out and built up the goodwill. There was a case, again, which was not in the Notes of Court of Appeal case from 2003 called Zarvis and, um, and uh, Prakan, um, where the classic examples is the landlord used to run a, a, a Cypriot restaurant and granted a lease, moves out, grants a lease for a Tandoori restaurant uh, and decides you know, at a later stage, I want to run my Cypriot restaurant. He actually failed on because he couldn't show he could get money for the banks. And it's those kind of things where there's big fitting out costs, lots of goodwill, the classic of restaurants, you know, tea rooms, takeaways, hotels, that kind of thing. And the way out of it, and you can bring the surveyors into this, is not have short leases, even if they're within the 54 Act. You have a long lease with a break clause. You, know, you usually know if your business is going to succeed or not after two or three years. So, you know, you have a two, three year break. Um, to you know, sort of make sure you've still got that ability to bring up the goodwill and you've always got to think to yourself that there's a possibility of the landlord using a non-foreground, perhaps less so now we've got that S. Francis case, but it's still there quite significantly. 
Um, I personally, it's almost a different course, but would prefer, if you want the best of all worlds, it's possibly a, a 54 app protected lease with an option to renew. A shorter lease, perhaps, with an option to renew. A lot of, I don't know, a lot of the sort of blue chip premises with, you know, sort of perhaps not huge premises, but uh, you know, a lot of premises. That's what they'll do. Um, not least of which, because if you pay stamp duty land tax or in Wales land transaction tax, um, you pay on the basis of the duration of the lease. And a short lease with an option is got a better tax advantage, if you like, than a long lease with a break clause. Okay, so another interesting case that you touched on was uh, Patel and Kellis, 2009. Could you tell us a little bit more about the background of that one, please? Richard? Yeah, it's a, it's a court of appeal case, and it's another issue in relation to the intention to occupy for your own purposes, and that's do you have to have a long-term intention or something less, you know, sort of just short-term, can you just go in as the landlord seems to have intended to do on a short-term basis and then, uh, you know, then sell the premises on? Uh, Kellis, Mr. and Mrs. Kellis were the landlords, uh, and uh, the tenant was Mr. Patel, who was running a news agency in a place called Tudor Street, which uh, a lot of the lawyers will know, because uh, it's just off Chancery Lane, the barristers will know it, because it's uh, just opposite the Inner Temple. And it's obviously a bit of prime real estate. The Kellises seem to have uh, got several properties, including this uh, leased out news agent, but there's a coffee shop that they had as well, that they'd rented out on the 20 year lease. And uh, they wanted to use ground G, we intend to occupy for your own purposes. But I know I was asked a question um, in the, uh, the webinar, you know, what if you tell a pack of lies, basically? Um, can you just sort of you know, get away with it, if you like? In this particular case, the, the landlords, um, well, what you tend to do under ground G, and again, this is probably, you know, obviously more for the lawyers than the non-lawyers, but uh, you'd have to agree, and you know, usually in these cases, you agree an undertaking that you are going to go into occupation for your own purposes. But this was a strange undertaking that it was negative. Um, uh, it said that we would not use other than other news agents for two years. So you didn't have to use it, you could keep it vacant if you like, which is a strange way of, uh, of dealing with it. Uh, and it was only for two years, because after two years, they basically intended to try and sell it off. Again, it's a real prime, prime site in the middle of London and get a bit of money out for themselves. Uh, and the Court of Appeal reversed the first instance decision. The first instance judge said, you have to be uh, going to occupy it for the foreseeable future. And the Court of Appeal said, that's not so. You're not, you, just because you've used ground G doesn't mean to say you have to be there forever in a day. But as you had a clear intention uh, at the time of the court hearing to one day, two years from now, try to sell, uh, that wasn't sufficient. You know, if you have an intention to sell when you go off to court using ground G, it's not sufficient, but you're not stuck there forevermore. Uh, and that was it. Somebody did ask me, as I say, uh, what if they were to get possession under basically a pack of lies under this or any other ground? Um, there's provision in section 55 of the, the 54 Act that if you uh, basically misrepresent or conceal facts, not just lying, but don't uh, disclose facts you should, uh, then you, uh, and the, the court awards possession as a consequence or opposes a new lease, uh, the landlord successfully opposes a new lease, you can still, uh, you can sue a misrepresentation. When the 54 Act went on through substantial changes back in 2005, they changed that uh, and added to it 
and that if you don't bother defending in the first place, you know, you don't go to court because of landlord's misrepresentations and concealments, then uh, you can still be sued for misrepresentation under Section 55. Unfortunately, uh, it's not difficult for landlords to show that I had a genuine intention to occupy for my own purposes, but I changed my mind sometime later. You know, and that's you know, not a misrepresentation. If it was a genuine you know, belief at the time and you decide to change your mind, that's not misrepresentation. And it's very difficult to show that's not the case. There's, I've come across one case, a case called Dealey's and Mason, uh, and on the um, for section 55 in my life. You know. And that's the background to that one. You've been listening to Unpacking the Case, a podcast by David Jones Bold. Thank you for listening.